Welcome to It's a Music Thing, a podcast about music. Each week, your host tries to bring stories from artists and others in the music industry. Go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Check us out on all social media. Instagram, at It's a Music Thing MB. Facebook, It's a Music Thing. And the website is itsamusicthing.com. If you feel so inclined, you can drop your host, Dwayne Larson, an email. It's a music thing, MB at gmail.com. Without further ado, here is your host, Dwayne Larson. back to it's a music thing the podcast i'm your host Dwayne larson on today's show i'm super excited it's where we're diving back you know maybe i guess going back into people that are are in bands and kind of deviating a, a little bit a very tiny little bit away from folks that work behind the music if you if you want to call it that don't sue me vh1 but today's show i've got my buddy marty and chances are you've probably seen Marty play on stage at some point. Uh, he was one of the, 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 the guys in High Five Drive. He is still in Clipwing, a band called North Graffiti, about 500 other different musical, you know, things going on. But he is also an incredible, incredible videographer who his most recent stuff, uh, he's done stuff for Winnipeg's own Fauzia. And he's... It's it's been very very interesting to kind of watch him get better. Really, <laughs> that's that's the easiest way to put it, I guess. It's just he's he's getting better and better and better at his craft, and you know, just working at it and working hard at it. <clears throat> Excuse me, but yeah, this one we sit down and we talk about everything, anything. It's it sucks because you know. It, I used to see Marty at shows all the time and see him play all the time. And, you know, obviously, just like the rest of the world, nothing really is going on with live music anymore currently. Hopefully that'll change. And it was really great to connect with him again and just, you know, see how he's doing, see what he's been working on and really learn about his musical journey because it's 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 a great one and he's seen some stuff he's been through Europe with uh with High Five Drive and if with Clipwing maybe I can't remember but yeah so I hope everybody really enjoys this I really appreciate Marty for taking the time to talk to me and as always we got to thank our sponsor Dusty Wax Records make sure you're heading over there you're following all their social medias just to see what they've got coming up next. I know Marco is working on a lot of great stuff and getting new new records kind of to, to re-release. They just released two Guttermouth records. One variant is gone. The other one, I believe, has very low stock, if not gone. And before that, they released a re-released a two Pulley albums, both of which uh, stock is gone and done. So make sure you head over to DustyWaxRecords.com. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram. That's probably where you're going to see the most up-to-date stuff when when they they come out with new stuff. 
So head over there, check them out. Also, big thank you to the lovely ladies in the Sorrells for providing us our intro music. And again, check all the descriptions to, you know, to see where to go, who to buy stuff from. It'll be in the description of the uh, this episode. Also, big thank you to the WPG Magazine. Head over there. They've got a lot of great content coming up. Um, you know, with summer coming up, there are a few events, hopefully still going to be going on. So make sure you're over there. Sign up for their newsletter. We are very lucky to be a part of their podcast network. So check out the other great shows they have, the WPG.ca. Check it out. But right now, here's my conversation with Marty. All right. I guess uh, first and foremost, who am I speaking with today? Uh, my name's Marty. <laughs> and I don't know what I don't know what to say otherwise. And <laughs> and 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 you are in. I mean, other than a million bands. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, uh, so I guess my uh, I'm in Clipwing. Uh, I also play in North Graffiti. Um, I play in a Tom Petty cover band called Damn the Torpedoes. Uh, and I think that's it right now. <laughs> So like every other Winnipeg musician, you're in about 17 different bands. Perfect. 100%. That's and the way we do it out here. One of my, it's always been, ever since I figured out this question, um, it's always started off the podcast. And the question is, what is your first memory of hearing music outside of like a nursery rhyme or a lullaby that really captured your attention? Oh, um, easy. This is my my dad showing me um, Queen uh, Brian May guitar solos from, uh, from Queen songs on vinyl. We had uh, shit. I'm never. I'm not gonna remember the album title, but it, uh, the vinyl had like a giant uh, cartoon robot on it that was like picking up like people and like killing them basically, and like uh, it was like screaming women. It was very like 50s style of an- of, of drawing or whatever. Yeah. Um, I can't remember which one that was, but I remember him like very distinctly like pointing out the like guitar tone on like Brian May's guitar solos and stuff. And like, that's the first time it like hit me. I think that's, the, I think that's the earliest. Yeah. I think I'm pretty sure that's it. So growing up, I mean, if your dad's pointing out like guitar tones and queen records, would it be safe to say you grew up in a fairly kind of musical family? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, my, so we took, uh, I took piano starting when I was, in the first grade, I think I took nine years of classical piano. Oh, wow. Nine or 10 years. My sister took a solid like eight years as well. I think um, my dad was a violinist growing up. Um, so it was his dad. Uh, I don't, and actually my mom doesn't have any musical background, but she always like loved, loved music. And we had like, I can remember like the, the giant cabinet full of vinyl and CDs at some point uh, that we had. And like, <laughs> also like a lot of like cheesy French crooners, uh, <laughs> in my past for sure um but, but yeah my parents loved it it was like music all the time so when you in grade you said grade one you started playing piano i think so yeah so in grade one was that something you wanted to do or is that something like your parents were like no you're gonna you're gonna learn how to do this yeah i'm pretty sure they told us or they told me <laughs> that it, but but they like i i actually this is weird i do remember this they like phrase it in a way where they're like aren't you excited to start piano in september and you know when you're a kid and you don't understand what's happening and you're like oh they're talking to me in that voice i should be excited about this like yeah. that's that's kind of what i felt like um and so i remember being excited about it for sure and like i i i liked it up to a point and then like the teacher i had was 
very intense and I was like uh, I mean I was like every other child that didn't want to practice anything mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't on my own terms so after a while you kind of like start to buck uh, a little bit and um, I just uh, kind of well it's not that I enjoyed it less and less I, th I thought I got too cool for it and then like I regret it every day sometime in high school I stopped going because I decided I didn't have time for it anymore and I, I was just like obviously I've continued playing music but uh, the level of ability I had when I stopped is like something that I would have loved to push. Like, you know, I, I feel like if I kept going another five years, I'd probably still be able to play at least close to the way I used to be able to. <laughs> can, can you, so like even now, can you, did you retain any of that? The fact that, can you read music? Did you learn to read music obviously through yeah. piano? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I can, I can still read music and I can still read for piano especially, but uh, just like much slower at it and like some of the more complex stuff uh i would just take some time with but um yeah I, I can definitely still read music and i can still play piano a little bit and i mean it transferred into like it, it made uh learning guitar obviously a lot easier because all of that is is sort of ingrained and like fretboard theory is a little bit different but um uh that's always kind of stuck with me i've it's uh it's weird because like in the world of you know punk rock which is mostly where i've existed musically uh post high school um which is the period I refer to as, you know, the rest of my life after 20. <laughs> um, uh, you, you, you play with a lot of musicians that have like varying degrees of musical experience. And, and that, that always like served me really well was that I was able to uh, play some more complicated stuff because you had that like musical foundation and background. And so you, you said you did about nine years of, <clears throat> of classical piano. When did you pick up, was the guitar the first other instrument you picked up after piano? Yeah, yeah, actually, um, I, yeah, I didn't play anything else. Uh, guitar, I started playing. Uh, I've got like a weird, weird thing. I wanted to start playing after my sister started showing me Radiohead when I was like in the seventh grade, <laughs> um, and like ja old Janis Joplin too. Like mm -hmm. for some reason, uh, that really like uh, hit me. And then my parents one Christmas got me like a uh, like a Hondo uh, electric guitar combo with like little cube and stuff. Um, and I didn't have it very long. It got, I can't remember how it got stolen out of the back of my cousin's hatchback. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next time I got a guitar was an acoustic guitar. So like I basically, I played for three months in the seventh grade, uh, and we took it in, in, in grade school. Like, I don't know if you guys ever had, I don't know if you had music class in elementary, um, or junior high even. I mean, because, because uh, I'm old, we had like the recorder. I mean, I, so I, I did the recorder yeah. too. <laughs> um, but uh, we did. We had a little bit of classical guitar as well. Excuse me. So I learned a little bit um, then, and then I, I basically got an acoustic guitar sometime in high school. And I like didn't really I, like I doodled around with Blink One Eighty Two songs. I've never used the word doodle before. I don't know why that came out. <laughs> Pod, podcasts make me uh, make me speak very differently apparently. <laughs> um, so uh, I didn't play much in high school, and then I sort of picked it up uh, just after I graduated. I I bought myself my first electric guitar, which I still have to my, well, my first, you know, good electric guitar, mm -hmm. which I still, still have in play to this day. And, uh, yeah, the rest was kind of history. So, I mean, it would be safe to say you love music from an early age still do because you're still doing it. And you know, that's why we're yeah. talking. Um, <laughs> but can you remember you're, you're born and raised Winnipeg, right? Yeah. Can you remember the first show you went to and when, like live music kind of became more a part of your life yeah so there's a like the first first concert ever is weird al yankovic at nice. the what was then the walker theater um 
And like, I, like, I remember I liked that CD, but I mean, you were, you know, still like a kid, you like the jokes and whatever, but the, the musical part of it kind of spoke to me anyways, because those are all pop hits just with dumb lyrics. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. a kid, kids Bob version of, of all the hits the, of the nineties kind of thing. And which, um, which, which album was it? Uh, it was the one that it was Amish paradise. I think like whichever oh, okay. one had that on it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I don't even remember what was on there. I'm sure if I heard the songs now, but he was doing like the whole costume changes. It was like, it was just a, a wicked show. But uh, the first like show show I can remember, uh, I went to go see some 41 at the Walker as well in high school and Billy talent opened. And it was before their first, their very first record came out. They were on like the tour just before that album dropped. And the singer was like friggin' lunatic. And I was, I was on, on the floor uh, up front and he was just like running around and like jumping over shit and rolling around on the ground. And like, I just remember being like captivated by that. And I like, this is the, in the days of like Kazaa and LimeWire. And I found a bunch of like their, so I, I think I still have them somewhere. I have like the demos for that thing that was their first major label debut mm-hmm. that came out later. And like, I listened to it incessantly. And then that kind of, really sent me down the path of, of going to shows. And then like from that's, you know, those are obviously like bigger concerts, even in Winnipeg. And from there, after uh, I, I started going to check out shows like local bands and stuff like that. And um, yeah. And I just now, now it's like crack and I just can't stop. That That's fair. That was that, that show with Billy talent and some 41, was that with Goldfinger? Uh, man, I, I, I don't think so. Uh, I feel like I would remember if it was, but I don't think it was. Because I saw that same lineup, I think, at um, in Regina, and I didn't know who Billy Talent was to save my life. I kind of knew who Sum Forty One was, but I'm like, eh, I don't, I don't really like these guys. I was a hundred percent down. I wanted to see Goldfinger because, yeah. um, oh, what the hell's that? The song with May or the album with Mabel on it. Hmm. I do not know Goldfinger well enough to tell you that one. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, anyway, that that was why I went there. And man, that show was all I can remember is because it was me and a buddy. We drove up to Regina and we brought his little brother, which was probably, God, what is he? Four years younger than us and his friend. And we were just sitting there watching the show. And all of a sudden, some kid gets pulled up for Goldfinger's set. And yeah. he ate a Twinkie out of the Goldfinger drummer's ass. And this is mid-set. So this is this is a sweaty-ass ass. Like, this isn't good. But he only, like, obviously bit off half the Twinkie. And I just remember that show so vividly because I'm like, this is amazing. Like, this is hilarious. And it was the kid that came up with us. Like, it yeah, was I, so funny. Dude, I have... Well, man, I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> chief, chief among them being... I mean, I don't know that I want to know, but how do you get a Twinkie in your butthole? It's soft. What, what wasn't like, the butthole? Just the cheeks. So it's like you spread just, the cheeks. Oh, like held, oh that's, and I like, mean, like, and I like guess held that's it. just as bad. It, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and again, the fact that it was like halfway through the set, not like, not fresh bum, like not, Oh my God. You know, not just, I don't, I don't, I'd like this. Like, I, I guess it's just compounding the problem, but like, I, <laughs> Like it's all, it's all bad. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was, it was a fun show. I mean that, <laughs> I think it's the only time I've seen uh Goldfinger, which is unfortunate because it was pretty fun. So yeah, 
and it explains your your love of Twinkies. Yeah, I you know I've got, <laughs> I've, I've got them all here, and sometimes me and April play Twinkie games. You know, it is what it is. Oh, I just about got him to spit his beer. It was so close. Oh my folks. god, so close. Fuck. Um, if you um, can just see you putting on, you're like, hey babe, you like put on Superman. <laughs> that snare fill starts, and you pull out a Twinkie. Oh yeah, my right. god. That oh god. Be... All right, okay. Oh, I love it. I'm gonna I'm gonna try that, and she's just gonna <laughs> yell at me and. Be yeah. like Twinkies aren't vegan. <laughs> I'm glad she doesn't listen to this podcast. That's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah, that's actually very good. Yeah. Um. So. So your big your big introduction to uh to punk rock live anyway was was some forty one. Do you remember hear hearing anything like CDs or tapes or anything before that where you were like, oh yeah, Ooh, what's what's this? Oh yeah, sorry. I should, the like my first real intro to that stuff was uh, I I remember this pretty clearly. My buddy made me a cop a tape copy of Smash, hmm. right at, or like when right when it came out, uh, and then I also I bought myself a tape copy of Dookie. So like seems very stereotypical considering my age group and orient. But I mean like you know right like those things were huge. Yep. Um, so both of those records, I just like wore them the fuck out and, uh, I listened to the, like basically the follow-up stuff. Yeah. Like that definitely started down the path of like heavier music. I mean, that's kind of, you know, how you end up at like, even some 41 was like heavier if you're, I don't know, depending on where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, and same with like Billy Talent. It was like a slow progression into like, <laughs> like hardcore metal, definitely like a gateway drug. But yeah, I've man, I, I remember that obviously drawn in by like the swears and bad habit um but also just like i don't know the classicness of that record and i mean you know we went on to do an offspring cover band as a as a result because of how much we love that record and i mean which i was at and i'm not gonna lie i went there just because you know it's a bunch of buddies playing songs that i know but i'm not i'm not a big offspring fan it's oh really they're they're, they're fine like they're they're good and i won't take i i, I like what they do but like, if you if you had to make me pick between, I mean, the two that you mentioned, Smash and Dookie, it's going to be Dookie every day of the week. Smash is okay, right. okay, but I like I even I'm going to be that old person that's like I like the Offspring's first record with like uh, Tehran and Jennifer Lost the War, like those I really like. But like Ignite, is that what it's called? Uh, there, it's I I believe it's. They have two before Smash because there's like Ignite really? and I think there's. I'm just gonna Doctor Google this right now. Um, I was gonna I was gonna say I've got Spotify open right now. This podcast brought to you by Spotify. Yeah, it's, uh, it's on Spotify. You should listen to it on Spotify and everything. Else. Um, <laughs> well, they had a, they had a self title. Yeah, they had the. Yeah, they had an the, ignition. Is let's see the self title. Yeah, self title is the the one that I really enjoy jennifer lost the war and you're honestly like i'm ashamed to say uh that i have not listened to that or ignition really ever and i should i never went backwards down in the catalog i've I've never really listened to ignition ever it's i don't know why i think i may have owned it at some point but yeah like that first one that self-titled one is just it's you know it's it's the quintessential kind of band's first record it kind of sounds like garbage it's you know they're figuring out who they are and it's i i really enjoy it it's it's 89 it's it's just like crazy to even think 
<laughs> like that's so this band has been around for how long man i'm bad at math i'm terrible uh, that's at math. Thir- 31 years or yep. something like that um that's kind of crazy that's but, pretty wild but that show was a lot of fun just mo- mostly and i mean looking back at it now it's like it's just a bunch of pals in the goodwill and they're having fun like oh I'm, yeah i'm craving that i'm missing it so much uh, dude it, it it kills me and th- like those those gigs have like a like a really special kind of vibe to them because it'll it like while it brings up like you know you and like our friends and, and people who love or don't i love the record or who are just friends and want to come hang out the vibe is already great and then because some like cover shows like this one, because the offspring and that album in particular were so popular, it just brought in like this entire crowd of people, like the nostalgia crew, you know, like mm-hmm. they don't normally go to shows, but they found out through their friend that still goes to shows that, that this is happening. And so they'll, they'll make it out for that because they love that band or that record. And it just like, yeah, it just felt like a party and it was just a, a whole vibe. Um, if I can like you or take a left turn for a second, my favorite part of that show. And I don't know if you remember was Braden, uh, and maybe you can beep that one later. <laughs> uh, he uh, he was just wasted, and he's a, a huge man. Like yeah. he's for anybody listening that does not know, he's just like a huge bear of a person, uh, and he's also like the sweetest dude ever. But he was just like so happy and so loaded, and he he's very good friends with Dylan, our singer, and we have video of this. <laughs> I remember playing. And I like quite literally looked away for a moment. And when I turned back, Dylan, who was previously wearing a black t-shirt was nude from the waist up. And, <laughs> and I just, I just didn't know what had happened. Yeah. Like, it, like it was, it was a second and then after the set, Dylan explained, did you guys see Braden tear my shirt off? And I said, what? And like, we have video of it happening. Dylan's on stage you see these two giant hands pop up from the crowd (laughs) grab grab him by the collar and then just like split his shirt in like one smooth movement (laughs) Dylan gives it one of the like hands up what the hell is going on kind of thing and then just soldiered on with the show um which is like I don't know it was fantastic I like I I miss I like I miss shows I miss people and I miss crowds and but I miss like stories like that. Cause you're like, when does that happen? Yeah. I, I, I don't think I saw it actually happen, but I do remember at one point now that you mentioned that, I mean, Dylan's got a shirt on and then he doesn't have one on. Cause I may have gone to like, may have gone to grab a beer or go to the bathroom or something, but I was just like, Oh, he got hot. He took it off. But no, that's, that's great. Oh yeah. Well, and like, yeah, I, I knew that wasn't like, that's not, uh, Dylan's not in the habit of stripping down on stage. <laughs> I knew something had happened. And actually, the, sorry, this, this uh, just reminded me of something. Um, uh, we were talking about this with Randy, who plays guitar and clipping uh, the other day. We were reminiscing, and uh, we, on one European tour, we were covering Bad Habit, um, which, when you hit the right punk crowds, like, makes people lose their fucking minds. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it's, it's super fun. But we played it in the Czech Republic in this, you know, very DIY kind of bar uh, club situation. And... When the bass line kicked in, which if you know how it starts, it's just a doo-doo-doo. Yeah. So the, the bass line had kicked in and three dudes rush me and throw me on top of the crowd. And 
they started passing me back. Like I was resisting. Like I, I was, I was like, no, 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 no. And they just like pick me up and throw me on the back. And they're like passing me around to the point that I get to the back of the room, the mics disconnected. And we did three quarters of the song with no vocals. The crowd was just moshing, throwing me around, like surfing me around the room. And they were all just singing it themselves. Yeah. And like, I just like, all like, I don't know. I'm surprised I like half forgot about that when Randy reminded me, I was like, Oh yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> That's, I mean, yeah, that that's the stuff that I miss the most. I remember there was a show I went to at oh god, what was it called? Um, where it's a wine. There's a wine bar above it. It's on Albert Street. Was it the Death Trap? Is that what it was? Called? Oh yeah, I think that's what yeah. it was. And yeah. I went to a show there. It was a hardcore show. Me and my friend. And I mean, I like hardcore music. I'm not into the culture and like into into it like i was just like it's a show yeah let's go it's five bucks let's go there was chairs being thrown around that room there was a couch (laughs) being like moved 15 feet across it and i'm like this is fucking great i'm like i i mean yeah i miss stuff like that so much i just can't wait for it to all happen again oh i know yeah i'm like uh i'm sure i have like i like i i uh I don't falter. I like teeter totter between shows will never happen again because people are going to be too scared. And like human beings love that experience so much that as soon as we think it's possible, we're going to go for it. Yeah. I mean like, uh, and I'm like, I'm leaning hard on that one because I was just, it's odd. I was, uh, so I was uh, working a gig and there's a gentleman I was working with a young, a young kid. um, And I was talking to him and he's a musician. He's like in his, 20s he had just started his first band or whatever uh but you know it seemed like he had his stuff together and he was just talking about how they had just started the band and they were writing stuff and they were getting ready to start to play gigs and then it, it just like, got me thinking i was like man i i sincerely hope that things get back to normal quick enough that in this like period of your life you're able to enjoy the same things i did which was like a no a, like both a local music community like all of those experiences recording music writing music with your friends and then like touring it because mm-hmm. now is the time when you can do it and lose all your money and, and yeah. just go do it for the sake of it you know like uh or or make a career out of it too you know like uh either way um it just like got me thinking like shit you know i hope like certainly hope that's not a thing that's gonna go by the wayside yeah i was i was thinking the same thing especially and it was not so much about bands but i mean it did get into my 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 thinking about it was I saw that uh, Winnipeg minor hockey had like officially pulled the plug on, on hockey for the year. Like it's not, it's not going to happen for minor hockey. And I just remember growing up and like, not that I ever had any delusions. I was going to make it into the NHL or anything above like high school hockey, but like yeah. those kids now that are like, you know, they're playing like triple a last year and this year would have been, you know, if you've got a full year off that young, how bad is that going to hurt them in, 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 oh, yeah. in ways of like player development and stuff like that. So it would be, and then I got thinking wow. about bands and like, if you don't, you know, it's great that there's been downtime and bands can write or folks can write and stuff like that. That's great. But you don't really know how to be in a band until you get on stage and do it. Like it's yeah, it's that, it's that practice, right? Like, yeah um i didn't even i never thought about that for hockey but you're right especially because like kids just absorb so much and develop Mm -hmm. so much when they're younger like kids adults even you know what i mean like when you're younger you're open to stuff you've got drive and energy it's like your time to really like amass a lot of experience very quickly in some ways and 
an entire year of not being able to really do that is yeah you're right it's, it's can be could be detrimental like i mean it's is it the end of the world no but it's it's a it's a different experience for sure it's um yeah and so bad um going going back to music screw hockey done with that mm-hmm. um uh so you said that when did you start your first band uh so i was like uh, i was late to the the band mm-hmm. scene so to speak um i was 19 or 20 and i i uh what the hell was it how did i meet those guys i can't remember um graham or jason there's, there's some people that i met and um told me they had started a band and they already had <laughs> They already had a show booked, but they didn't have a bass player. This sounds like the start of like every punk rock it, it, like band, like for real. Eh? Yeah. I just realized what a fucking cliche I am. Right now. <laughs> so well, they, well, you're not alone. They, so they, uh, yeah. So they had a show booked at the zoo, of course, um, but they didn't have a bass player. Uh, and so I was like, I was like raring to go. And like, I had been playing a little bit of guitar, but um, you know, I just wanted, I was like, this is a chance to, you know, like, band almost seems unattainable like i guess i didn't have friends that were like-minded in that sense so um this was my way to like break into that kind of uh scene i suppose and uh so they asked me to join and i started jamming with them so yeah that was at 19 uh and then i joined i started a band with some new friends the minority justice league at like 20 ish uh, and then i joined high five drive at 21 and what, um what was high yeah. five drive already going by the time you you joined or was that- oh yeah yeah, they were on they were, they were So the original lineup, well, it changed. So the original lineup that recorded like the first album, for example, was Brent, Dal, Greg, and Steve. Uh, and Brent and Dal were both out of the band by the time that I had joined. So they were on a different bass player uh, and they were had pretty much like, they had had Nick from Lives of Many, if you recall. Um, he had been playing guitar uh, and then he left the project and he was just, uh, then they had fill-ins. So. Uh, what's funny is that um, I, when I first, so I met Greg and he told me they were looking for a guitar player. Uh, so I got all excited. Uh, and then he's like, yeah, you should come out to a show and check us out because I'd never seen them before. Um, and he's like, and we can, we can chat then. So he invited me to the collective where they were playing and the guitar player filling in who keep in mind was like who I was supposedly going to replace uh, was Charlie Hackler um who for anybody who's listening i mean i don't expect you to know him he's like a, just a ridiculous shredder guitar player like mm. he's just unreal so, so and like i was I had, I had owned a guitar six weeks like my electric guitar i'd had <laughs> yeah. for like six weeks and uh so i go and i see them and it was on my birthday actually and i just got like w- wicked loaded and i was watching them and greg was like so do you want to come jam and i was like i don't know man i don't, I don't think i can uh, <laughs> um but yeah anyways all all that to say that yeah the lineup had changed like quite a few times so i was that was they were they had already uh recorded and released service engine soon and we were about a month away from recording uh the second record from the ground up so i ended up joining them and then 30 days later we toured for a month and and went and recorded a record so what what was your first kind of um thoughts of uh, seeing high five drive other than this guitar player can shred and like you had said you had had yours for six weeks yeah um uh yeah i was like i just remember it being really fast um and actually so i think i kind of i i lied a little bit i don't remember the order of these things but i've saw high five drive at the west end one other time and i think it was before the collective and that one i have a memory of because um i i remember very clearly uh jowsy like steve the drummer because I'd never seen somebody play drums 
so like aggressively <laughs> uh but like quite literally like i remember the look on his face because he was like screaming along to the songs in between singing backup vocals while playing just like the most ridiculous drums you could ever imagine like i i was like holy shit this kid like i, I was just blown away yeah i remember very distinctly um and then i i had bought the the service engine soon record and i put it on on the way home and i just remember being like holy crap this stuff is fast this is crazy <laughs> so that's that was really my first impression oh and greg did the like the spin things i remember mm-hmm. that very clearly which uh, still impressed me even when I was in the band. I don't know how he does that and doesn't fall down. I don't know how to this day he can do with, with his, um, his solo stuff now, like being on that box and stomping for 45 hour, hour and a half. Like, Oh yeah. It's unreal. Holy shit. That guy has boundless energy. It's incredible. So, so you, you, you join high five drive. And then like you said, 30, 30 days later, essentially, you're in the studio recording what I'm assuming is for the first time. And how did that experience, like, were you at all nervous going in there, especially with these guys that have already cut one album are pretty much they're, they're veterans of the scene. So how were you feeling going into that? Um, yeah, I mean, for sure, for sure. Intimidated like to make matters worse. Uh, so the record was produced by Steve Rawls, uh, who's a singer of Belvedere. And recorded by Blair Kalibaba, oh, um, who had, who, yeah, who had done, you know, like Choke and uh, lots of other big names, um, and yeah, so like, li- like li- my first time in a studio was like a- an actual, real studio, and yeah. we're recording this just like bad shit music. And to make matters worse, uh, about like two days before we left for the tour, uh, they kicked out the bass player. So I, I as the new guitar player, filled in on bass for the tour, and then also recorded bass and and oh, guitar shit. on the record. So that was fun. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, like at that point, bass was like uh, I like that was that felt more comfortable. But like this like crazy breakneck speed guitar stuff was pretty intimidating. Um, and I, I did what I could. I remember trying to lay down the solo, uh, like I had a solo on one of the songs and trying to lay it down. Steve Rawls told me, you're trying to play a Slayer solo and you're not, uh, Kelly King, Carrie King, Carrie King, yeah. K- Kelly King. <laughs> I just beep that part out. Uh, yeah, he's <laughs> like, you're trying to play, you're trying to play a Slayer solo and you're not Carrie King. And I was like, Ooh. um, but I mean, he wasn't wrong. I was like, I was trying to do stuff that was a little bit beyond my grasp, but there's other parts on that that I was like. Yeah, like, like quite literally, I was, uh, you know, a couple of months into my like electric guitar playing career and I'm, I'm relatively proud of how it turned out yeah. considering um, because it was, yeah, it was intimidating and it was, uh, yeah, that was like wild. It was also that there's another experience I missed that like, I really only got a couple of times in my life is to like make a record. Like we were in a house, like a house studio, like a proper studio, but in like a nice house that you could also um, hang out in. Uh, we were there for... Uh, 10 days two weeks something like that so like literally having 14 days in a row where it's like you get up you go to the studio all fucking day and then you just leave you know you relax for a little bit and then you come back the next day like that that experience is just so cool and like creatively it lets you really just get immersed in what's going on and and it's just like something i'll i'll remember forever doing for the first time like that i don't i don't know how you guys go in a studio and stay like keep your level of excitement up because the few times that I've been asked to like come in and photograph a studio like set and like stuff like that. It is, it is fucking boring to, to, <laughs> to me because I'm just like, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. Don't get me wrong. I love doing it because I'm, 
it's not boring in the fact that I'm, you know, creating photos and making these wonderful oh, yeah, things. It's just like hearing, especially like the, the drumming or the guitar parts, like hearing six different versions that to me all sound the goddamn same. Like I folks that work in studios, I, I'm amazed they can like, like (laughs) JP. I don't know how he can like still be excited after, you know, the the 700th take of this one part and be like, that's it. But yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like it helps, it helps when you're like, your hands are in it, like to to be a spectator. Like it's, it's fun like I like going to do it uh, for other bands, even if I'm not involved, but it's because I have been involved in like that part, excuse me, uh, interests me, but um, you're right. Like it is boring. I mean, there's, there's a lot of parts, like <laughs> there's parts that people don't get to. It's like the, the non glamorous part is when you're sitting there and like poor, like for a lot of the types of music we play, the drums get the short end of the stick. Like they mm. always have to play the, the craziest, most complex stuff and to a metronome and whatever, like, to hear somebody play a fill eight different times and to wonder which one is more in the pocket. And this one's slightly ahead and this one's on the beat and this one's palm. Oh, you kind of flammed on this one or you, you grazed the Tom hit on that one. And can we fit whatever? Like it's a lot of like nitpicky fucking detail because yeah. you're, you're like, you're like an inch away from this thing that you're making and you're building it piece by piece. And it's just crazy how neurotic you can get. Um, and so it's, yeah, it is. It's like, it's boring. And from, from an outside perspective, like tedious in a lot of ways, uh, I, but I think once you are involved in the process and you kind of get, it's like you're addicted to the end result. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like you just spend the time. It's like you, you, once you get how it plays into the larger picture, it's much more interesting. And when you've got something, a stake in it, I'm sure if we like, you know, if you, if you write, write a song and go into the studio and record it yourself, it's like all of a sudden everything is more pertinent, you know? Yeah. And I know because North graffiti just did this. Um, you guys played live off the floor for the the newest video you guys did um right i'm not wrong on that yep yeah, you're right. the, the acoustic um cover or not cover yep. but the acoustic version of a song that you guys did have, yep. have in all the other bands that you've been in have you ever done kind of like a live off the floor recording where everyone was kind of like in a room or at least playing at one time and recorded yeah, it? oh yeah yeah for sure um uh profit did recorded everything like that well uh the the ep second ep we did we didn't do that but for the demos that was my first real experience live off the floor and jp's the one who recommended it and honestly that band was just like perfect for it because it was like it was all like really great musicians like guitar players were killer and jowzy was like just on his on his game you know um i was pretty good at bass at that point and um it was simple enough like especially jowzy and i just come from high five drive so like blues rock we're like this shit's fucking easy yeah <laughs> um but it also like it just like we jived really well and so jp was like you guys should just do it live off the floor because i mean in his mind too we were doing like demos which we ended up releasing but um you know it's it's cheaper for us and it's simpler for him it's just mm-hmm. like one setup and then we go um but there's also like you know the musicians and and engineers alike will usually uh tout the values of of recording live off the floor because it's got that like you know the band is like it's an energy and it's the vibe and it's really capturing what you sound like you know um and that was the first time we did it and like i i like i'll i'll never forget that experience the first time we played through uh even one song and just like hearing it back and we're like fuck this sounds amazing like we're like we're fucking good at this yeah <laughs> like, uh and it, yeah it does feel like a 
like there's like little things that can be a little bit off like when you start getting neurotic but you're like i don't like this just stuff that you're like i don't even care like the rest of it just like feels so good that it doesn't those things don't matter it lets you it lets you get away from that hyper focused super polished kind of feeling like when the like you know i know the the first uh the rippers which is another winnipeg band that we you and i both love mm -hmm. a lot actually i don't know if you like them yep, but i, I love the rippers um so their first record is live off the floor and as far as i understand it vocals included uh, oh, i could wow. very well be wrong I'll, I'll let chris correct me on that i i don't know for sure but i remember hearing that that was the case and whether it is or not regardless it is still amazing and it's got exactly that vibe to it where it's like you know if you put it up to a micro microscope you could probably pinpoint some stuff that's like off time or, or this or that or whatever but it like it so does not matter because the rest of it just like feels great yeah um yeah yeah, and, and, super, and and certain bands you know lend themselves more to to that like oh yeah. as, as much as yeah. and i know i talk way too much about propaganda on this podcast but well, as let's much do as, it. let's do as, another as, two hours on propaganda i'm in as, as much as you'd love to hear like propaganda live off the floor i mean i'd i'd just be like i i really respect the fact that you know they're taking all the best pieces of the stuff that they do and putting it together to give you the best quality so i mean Prop would kill it live off the floor. I'm sure how many takes it would, you know, cause they're, they're, they're perfectionists. They want it. They want it perfect. They want it good. So it's like, you know, it, it's probably not going to be a one and done type thing, but you know, the, the fact that he can, they can go in and overdub and do all the technical stuff that I don't know what it is and give you the best product is, is incredible. And yeah, prop just, I don't want to say they wouldn't be great, you know, for something like no. that, but I get why they wouldn't do it. Um, yeah, like it's it. it um, I think Pro, you, you're totally right. Like Prop is one of the bands that, like, despite the technical nature of the music, could probably make it sound good because I mean they're amazing. We both agree on that. But yeah. I I also totally see what you're saying. What you're saying because as I love that kind of technical music and there's a lot of bands like that I love. And when you see them live, it's like, it's a very, very difficult thing to recreate, especially with the way things are recorded nowadays. They're just like, that's, that's the, the, the flip side to multi-tracking and really like, you know, doing stuff until it's surgical and adding three guitar parts and a bunch of extra backups and whatever. It's like, it's really great. And it produces something super cool, but like whether or not you can recreate it live mm -hmm. is kind of a function of like the type of music you play and, and how you choose to go about producing your records. Um, Cause that's a, you know, you know, if you look at like, uh, with like architects or, other one word band names like that they're super technical um you know what i mean like some of them can do that stuff live but it'll never be exactly as polished as the record yeah so yeah some kind of like sleazy rock and roll is like easier to pull off live off the floor that's kind of how that music's meant to live um but there's certainly some styles of music that just don't don't lend themselves to recording that way and so with with you guys you know you're in high five drive you just recorded a new album um, you head out on tour for the first time, I'm assuming ever, like any kind of like substantial tour. Did that live up to kind of what you thought it was going to be? Or was it like you, you were over sleeping on floors and couches in about three days? Uh, no, I was, I was supremely excited. I was just like, so stoked, uh, to be on tour. And <laughs> I mean, I didn't really have any kind of like, uh, scope or expectation of like what tour was going to be like you know what i mean yeah um 
uh, I, I did put our van into the ditch, uh, less than an hour in to our drive <laughs> to Brandon. Uh, so that was something. Um, but yeah, no, I was just so excited. Like, I mean, I was, yeah, I was 21 or something like that. I was just super pumped to be on the road and that the, <laughs> the like waking up in new places and getting to see new stuff and like play on new stages and really get to practice the art of like being on stage like this. Um, uh, sorry about that. Nope. Um, so then, yeah, you're the, the first tour was, you know, I mean, I guess, yeah, like you said, you, you, you're seeing new things, you're meeting new people. That's a huge thing. Cause like our scene, um, even just our Canadian scene, not even just Canadian punk rock is very small. So, you know, you're getting to meet all these new people that probably know people on the other side of Canada or the U S even. Mm-hmm. Um, so high five drive that first, the first few tours, did you get into the States at all? No, no, we actually, we only got into the States after I had been in the band for a couple of years and we really only went the one time. Um, I know, I think the guys tried to go one other time before I was in the band, but it's like the visas were such a pain back in the day Mm -hmm. and it just came down to like return on investment. You know what I mean? Like whether or not it was going to make sense for us to go down there. Um, things were pretty, you know, uh, pretty stringent back then. I mean, like they, I don't think they ever really got that much better. It's always been hard for bands to go to the U S especially for some reason on that small scale, like crossing the borders, like you'd get a surprising amount of scrutiny. And even when we went in 2009, uh, I think the statute of limitations is up on this. So I can probably talk about it. Uh, we, <laughs> we like, we, we snuck in, so to speak, like we were going down for a 10 day tour and we went down in my friend's Volkswagen golf. So he drove us, with our uh, with no equipment whatsoever, we were borrowing a band's equipment. We drove down to Vegas, of all places. It was like thirty hours straight of driving, which is insanity. Uh, and then we did ten days with them through Nevada, Arizona, and California. Um, and that's pretty much the only time I've I've toured in the states. But you got you guys did get over to Europe, did you not? Yeah, we did um, six. No. I, I've, I've toured Europe six, six times, I think. Okay. Um, and with high five drive, I think we did four European tours. And that first um, one, I mean, what, what was the biggest difference would you say between like a North American audience and going over to Europe? Like, where did you play in Europe? Were there big differences? Oh, yeah, it was, it's, I mean, it was a complete change. Uh, all, it was a straight one eighty. So for one, you got paid a lot because um, like even the smaller places, like there's a lot of like youth oriented community centers that had budgets for hiring uh, music. And mm-hmm. so people would book bands through that. Um, we'd have like, the, there was a big following for skate punk in some of those countries. So especially in like Spain, they really love that kind of music. So we, we showed up to like Madrid to like, uh, you know, I mean, it's not a big venue, but it was sold out like 200 people or something like that. Mm-hmm. And trying to do that anywhere in Canada for high five drive, even after like, you know, 10 Canadian tours was like nearly impossible. Like that's yeah. the kind of world. I mean, you know, we, you know, I'm not going to make any excuses. Maybe we just weren't good as a band or, or whatever, but uh, it, it was really tough in Canada to make an impression. And in Europe it was, yeah, it was like we showed up and, and people were already interested, you know, um, there's also like a big, uh there's also a big inc- like people love any kind of foreign bands so like they'll go to you know places that have live music and just be like who's playing tonight and you're like oh we're from canada and they're like canada and they like call <laughs> 10 of their friends and they, and they come right whereas like here you can be like hey guys this is this band from 
you know, West Germany, which isn't a country anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know. They, they like, they're, they're playing the collective tonight. And everybody's like, oh, I don't know, man, how much is it? And you're like three bucks. And they're like, oh, I'm trying to save money. And you're like, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of ridiculous. Which I'm hoping, um, again, not to, not to harp on, you know, what we're go- all going through right now, but hopefully that will not be an issue after this is all done. It's like, you know, yeah, going, to see, not be. going to see your buddies play for, 10 15 dollars or even a goddamn yeah. free show yeah yeah go see the show that's all you gotta yeah. do uh how how long does high five drive last i know i should know this and i know steve-o probably covered it in his podcast when when he was on but i don't so okay well this for anybody that has already listened to the steve-o podcast or is going to everything the man says you take it like 60% value. So I'm not going to tell you that like you should listen to his dates or anything like Steve will be like, man, you got to listen to this band. They're the greatest thing ever. And they're probably like halfway as decent. Um, it's, <laughs> he will appreciate this. I'm sure we rag him about this all the time. Uh, I'll just say, I have no idea when he said we were uh, active till or not, but I'm pretty sure it was 2010. Okay. So that... we were like, I, I joined in 06, 07, 07, I think. Um, so I was in like four, four ish years, something like that. And so during that time, what, and right after high five, <clears throat> you guys started clip wing. That was kind of the, uh, the, the overlapping band. What kind of finished off high five drive? Was it just kind of time to be done as a band? Yeah. The, I mean, that'll always, uh, that'll always like not sit right with me. And I think the rest of the band would pretty much say the same. Um, like just because there was no definitive end. Uh, so I don't know what finished it off, but it was like a culmination of a lot of things. Like the arrangement we have, we had financially basically had Greg, you know, paying for most things. Mm. Um, so he was fueling the band and that was like an unsustainable model. And it was also like, it was inevitably going to cause tension because, you know, with bands it's a little bit odd at that level because this it requires a certain amount of financial contribution from people so you know it's like if you and i were to start a band if i'm like hey Dwayne, i want you in the band and i don't care if you can't afford to go on tour we're gonna go on tour and i'm gonna pay for it and that sounds well and good and it is in a certain sense but then if you do that for too long like there's inevitably inevitably going to be this like potential to have a butting of heads where it's like hey why aren't you know, can't you pay for anything? And you're like, well, why do you do this if you want to pay for it? Or like, or even just from you to be like, you know, I don't want you to keep paying for stuff if I can't, what, you know, this, yeah, it's, there's a lot of things that were involved. So in I mean, the end, it just, yeah. At, at, at a point, some band, uh, the band needs to be self-sustainable. Like the band yes. needs to make money to, you can't just rely on one member or a couple members to float the band because mm-hmm. that's a huge strain. Yeah, it's it was it's it was unfair in all directions, and you know, and Greg really bared the brunt of it. And I mean, he'd been doing it for a long time too. And it would like things were getting better. Like we had some, there was some ups for us for sure. Uh, you know, as like, what's the number one advice you're supposed to give to bands is don't break up. Because <laughs> like if you, you know, if you keep at it, uh, if you keep at it enough, like usually there's some kind of success because well, a you usually get pretty good at something you do it enough, and like b you know you should hopefully have people's attention and be, be able to like make some kind of modicum of a career out of it. Um, and so things were getting better for us, but it's just like, it was too much strain on everything. So it's really, it's really too bad. But I mean, we had a, 
we had a lot of really uh, good stuff happen. And I mean, we all kind of continued on in music in other ways. So um, I mean, never to, lost. To, to go back to your point of, uh, you know, the best advice to give a band is not break up. But I mean, this is just me as an outsider looking in. Can't you see the writing on the wall where it's like, you know, especially in something like um, punk rock where it's only it, it comes in ebbs and flows. Sometimes it's cool. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's cool. Other times it goes way back underground. Can't you see like the writing on the wall and being like, okay, we, we've gone as far as we can with this band. It's time to, to try something new and to shift gears. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it was that too, you know what I mean? Like uh, we all came from different backgrounds, I guess, musically in mm-hmm. a sense. And like, you know, Greg has this just un, unrelenting drive to to tour and to like you know it's he's not after fame or or fortune or anything like he just wants to make music and make a living at it and you know he's got an old school mentality when it comes to that and then uh Jowsy and i had we had we had been in profit and like had a like profit had an easier time because of the style of music we were playing mm-hmm. and we had some like we had some early successes as a band you know when you're like you know, we had we we formed the band and in less than a year we recorded a demo and then we won the class of whatever on power 97 and we played the mts center and like you know when you're in a punk rock band that for six years has a or six years wasn't that long uh for like a couple of years tours incessantly and can't catch a break in a sense and then you do something for a year and it goes that well you know it it makes you question your stuff and at, like at no point were jowsy or i ever in that band as a substitute or to like break away from high five drive yeah. but it's for sure that like you know greg felt that too and we were all just like you know where are we going with this and and can we make it work and and you know greg always wanted to be able to like run as fast as he could, as hard as he could uh, untethered. And Mm -hmm. we were always kind of a tether in a sense, because a lot of us had different uh, priorities and and things like that. So, yeah, so it just, it kind of, kind of went that way. And I mean, like the proof's in the pudding, you know, Uh, as soon as the high five drive was done, Greg was, uh, you know, off and running immediately and, and has made, uh, made himself a hell of a solo career Mm -hmm. and the rest of us continued on in different kind of capacities, but yeah. And so what, what was the catalyst for, for Clipwing to start? Because it's, I'm not going to say it's very similar to high five drive, but it's fast. It's catchy, um, technical. And was it difficult to, because you're, you're essentially, you're, you're kind of, I guess the front person of Clipwing kind of like, I I, I know, I know everyone kind of takes their turns kind of doing their thing, but was it hard to like, step out in front and kind of take that role on yeah i mean i think i think it's like a thing that whether musicians want to admit it or not it's like it's always fun to want to do that and like i feel like i always had the want to be in that position even if i never thought that i was like good enough to do it so it was it was one of these things where it was double-edged in the sense that i was like well if i just do it then i get to be it like i get i get i get to be the front person i get to have my own project i get to be proud of that um, but also I was like, you know, um, I hadn't written a lot of my own songs at that point. And I was like, if I, if I do this, then I will force myself to write stuff and do things by myself and come up with them and, and be like the, the creative lead on, on things. And I, I just really wanted to see if I could do it in a sense. Um, you know, and I wanted to keep playing music, but I was like, oh, I want to like do something that's more, more my style. So like, you're right. It's, there's a lot of similarities to high five drive, especially in the early stuff, because full disclosure, one of those 
songs on the first EP is is uh, something I wrote at the tail end of High Five Drive and then imported over to to Cookwing kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to I wanted to do something that was uh, you know more like the bands that I was listening to at the time, which was you know like Smoke or Fire and you know the Menzingers and, and I mean like granted that's not what we sound like, but it's still I still wanted like I basically wanted to dumb it down. I was like I don't I don't want to go as fast. You know what I mean? Like I I would like to do stuff that's like a little more melodic and try to focus on the songwriting and to a certain degree i think we we've achieved that and how do you how do you think you came out with um you know you stepped out front and you you kind of started to produce more of your own songs your own music that's coming more from you um how do you feel you've grown throughout even clipwing kind of writing ooh um yeah i don't know i mean like i swear that the i have an inherent want to just like tear myself down and things are never good like i have a very high standard for things uh particularly myself um and so it's hard to like evaluate how i've grown when i'm always just kind of like you know even if i write something and one day i'll like it the next day i'm like this fucking garbage you're terrible (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which i'm sure is something a lot of people can kind of uh um relate to but um i mean i think i think it's gotten better like the, the songs we've written even most recently which hasn't been a lot because like life has has changed and gotten busy but when songs do come to life now i feel like they're they're much more solidified and like you know i've kind of kind of learned to like veer away from the things that i didn't like before like you learn a lot about yourself in terms of like your tastes when it comes to writing because there's times like it's not necessarily coming up with ideas but it's like choosing what the best idea is Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense so like when you're writing I mean, I can come, I, you know, this is not a brag by any means, but like you could sing any kind of nonsense along to like a, you know, a verse part or a chorus or whatever. Uh, but it's like your taste in knowing what parts are the best thing that you have come up with is kind of half the battle. And I find that the more I write and the longer I've been doing this, the easier it is for me to be like, this is the one, you know what I mean? Like this yeah. is, this is the vocal part. I know, I know when there's a part that I think I love and when I'm like, no, this is going to have to change at some point. And as a songwriter, I always find this fascinating because, I mean, back in the day, I wrote, like, poetry. I still have it. It's probably pretty bad. I haven't looked at it in years. Is um, that next? Is that yeah. next? Tell me. <laughs> but <laughs> Please. do you, um, when you're writing, does the music come first or is it lyrics or is it sometimes both? Uh, yeah, Cla- classic question. It is. And uh, it's definitely, it's a, for me, it's a healthy dose of both. But typically speaking... I'll write some kind of like riff or, or rhythmic musical backdrop uh, and then I'll write vocals over top of that. But um, the both will change, you know what I mean? So like I'll sing along and then if I come up with something vocally that might influence and change the underlying musical accompaniment. Um, and then a lot of times I'll come up with what I think is a clever lyric and is often just a terrible cliche, but <laughs> if I end up using it, uh, I can usually shoehorn it into something. Um, it's actually happened a few times because like we have a new song called uh well new song it's been <laughs> we've we've had it for a bit it's just not released but uh and it's called ham on rye and it was it's based on some some things i read i read in the book ham on rye by uh that guy there who's really famous and i feel like an idiot now because i don't even know his name um he's one of the drunk asshole chauvinistic male uh, dudes yeah. classics you know what i mean yep there's, there's um, a few of those yeah <laughs> and i mean <laughs> <is> the worst <laughs> um yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. Take away, take it away, Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, no, I totally lost my, my, my train of thought. I had a question. Should have wrote down. That's why I got a, that's why I got a pad of paper right here. So I can Beautiful. like make little, little things. Oh, that's what it was. Um, I'm currently reading a, uh, Rod, Rod Stewart autobiography. And oh, cool. it, it's actually, it's super interesting. I mean, he makes, um, speaking of male chauvinist pigs, um, he makes no bones about the fact that like he cheated on many of his wives on many of his girlfriends. That's not where I was going with you at all. But, um, when, 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 like when you, when, especially more so when clip wings going into the studio, because Rod said that whenever he goes in, he's got nothing, he's got no lyrics, he's got nothing. And then when they get in, the band just starts kind of like, like I'll, I'll give it a Marty word noodling around. Um, that, that's when the songs kind of like write themselves. And how does, when, when you guys go in to record, is everything already pretty solidified? It's just a matter of like getting the right producer on board and just fine tuning everything and just putting everything together. Yeah. Like I, I definitely w- want to have most pieces in place, but we'll, we'll leave a few things left to improvisation. I think the, like the big distinction, and this is like a hard thing. I mean, it's not a hard thing to imagine, but like Rod Stewart's got like the, the budget to have all the time he wants in yeah. the studio. <laughs> yeah. So true. The, you know what I mean? And like, even uh, I was thinking about that, like there's that, I don't know if you saw that preview for like get back that uh, the new Beatles documentary that. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, not Tolkien, the guy who did the Tolkien movies. Yes, uh, um, Jackson. Wow, this is Peter Jackson. Yes, yes, Peter Jackson. Bukowski's the author. All right, we're we're we're, we're, we're putting over, the pieces over, together. Over two. Um, anyways, uh, just like seeing the kind of like, I mean, obviously there's still the fucking Beatles, but to see like people don't understand, there's like, man, these people have like all day to dick around, and like mm. if you have anybody that's like half decently creative and likes to make music, you can come up with something if you're just sitting there trying to you know what i mean and then when you make a habit of that and it's like a a thing that you can really just focus on for a long time then it makes all of that process a lot easier but for you know like bands like like mine who are you know uh we do it as professionally as we can but frankly we have lives and we can't make a living off it so we have to try to make it fit when we go into the studio we want it to sound good we're paying for a proper studio it's like we figure our shit out before we don't we just don't have the luxury of having five uh studio days of like pre-production or whatever and i i would absolutely love to because that like also lets you block out your external kind of distractions and influences and Mm -hmm. really just focus on your craft for a bit so um it's kind of an odd thing too because i mean i'm gonna get like super left-wing and artsy here (laughs) you know people will often wonder especially in 2020 where it's like you can make anything on like a laptop and like a good set of headphones or like there's lots of huge hits that have been made that way nowadays and i'm not saying that you can't but there's something to be said for like the golden age when when bands were given hundreds of thousands of dollars to make an album because they could also a recoup it but b it would like it permitted them that that time to be creative and to focus and to to step away from everything else they were doing and really just go and hone in on that shit and like that's how you create those special moments you know and like even the people doing it on a laptop at home, it's like, they're, they're doing that for themselves. I'm sure like people mm-hmm. don't get that. They're that's somebody locked away in their bedroom for weeks on end, kind of coming up with that stuff. Um, so yeah, so I would say that that's like, that's sort of the luxury we've, we figure our shit out way ahead of time, <laughs> but I do love, I, I absolutely like my favorite things are coming up with my, uh, my favorite thing I should say is coming up with stuff like that in the studio, like mm-hmm. the center, the synergy when you have, 
like a good producer or even just other musicians that you jive well with and like i don't know uh like on the spot somebody's like oh wait what if we did this and then they play a guitar part and the producer's like hang on and they throw a pedal on it and you're just thinking everybody's like holy shit this is the greatest fucking thing ever like that's that's like a three-way like you know creative process which is just so exciting because it's like you know it could be a song that i came up with and whatever but then somebody adds this flourish on top and then this somebody else adds this extra thing you know like a hat on a hat yeah <laughs> not in a bad way and it's it's just like it that's it's a yeah it's a wonderful feeling it's crazy is it important for you guys to to actually bring someone in to produce an album rather than self-producing it like to have that extra set of ears and eyeballs just to like kind of maybe pick apart things because you guys had hannah do yeah do the the the, the full length correct yeah, he did. Uh, uh, so it was, a, it was just an EP, but yeah, EP, he, yeah. so uh, he he produced that one, um, and yeah, and actually, so like he, he was the first one we really had come in for something aside from like John Paul, who's, mm-hmm. I mean, te- technically speaking, he's an engineer and producer, but often we can't afford to pay him to do both, yeah. um, and be, because he's a nice person, he inevitably, because he's a nice person, he inevitably, fuck's sakes, Phil. <laughs> You can leave that in. I don't care. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, because he's a nice person, he inevitably ends up doing both. Mm. Um, anyways, Chris was the first time we like hired somebody to produce. And uh, like, I spent some time aside from being in bands, I work for um, a local management company and I like, I went to South by Southwest and, you know, helped manage, uh, manage some artists and stuff. So I got kind of a, like a peer behind the curtain in a sense. And the truth of the matter is, is that like everybody, like anybody who's anybody and and beyond like people people co-write and work with producers and stuff and there's a reason because like the collaborative process inevitably allows you to grow as an artist and also like makes your art the best thing it can be like yeah there's people that can sit alone in a room and and write amazing shit all day long but it's like it's the the touch of an extra person and like there's something to that collaborative process that is that is super important and so you know coming to learn that as i got older uh like we, we got Chris to do that one, which is a phenomenal experience. And then now we're like, we've, we're trying to prepare to record a full length mm-hmm. and we've come back to that where it's like, I don't know if it'll be Chris or, or anybody else, but we've constantly talked about like, we would love to have somebody else. Like I want somebody else's ears. Like my recording partner, Kyle Monkman, who's just like a phenomenal musician on his own. Uh, most of the demos we've done, I've done with him because he and I jive like that. And like, the, like exactly what I just talked about, I lay down a song and then he's like, Hey, how about this little riff for the chorus? And like, now that's the best part of the song. And I'm like, yeah. fuck you, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't get mad because the song is better, but it wasn't yeah. my idea. <laughs> well, and that, that actually leads into, you know, um, not only are you in 1700 different bands, and have played in another 3,500 different bands. Um, but during this whole time, you've also got into like the audio side of, of music as well as the video side of music. And I mean, this, this is perfect because I'm, I'm talking to a lot of folks that are doing, um, it's kind of like the behind the scenes people that the, the production people that like tour managers, stuff like that. And you kind of fit into, every one of those little niches like you've you've played and play in bands and what was what was the thing that really got you interested in i guess both the audio and the video side of things oh yeah that's a good question um audio i don't 
like quite literally, I think I, I just like slowly, I mean, I've always done by just by, uh, because you didn't have any money to pay somebody to record demos for you. I ended up recording a lot of my early bands demos. And when I say recording, I mean, that may have been like literally a microphone in a room. Mm -hmm. And then from there we graduated to, for example, miking up Jowsey's drum kit in high five drive, running that into an old shitty PA system and then outputting like just one line into my computer so that we could individually mix the drums. And like, I kind of like kept getting more and more complex just because, but I like, I never really thought about it. And it wasn't like, I would say like a focus or an interest of mine. And then uh when i met kyle at some point he had kind of had the same experience but he had bought a little bit of equipment i was buying a little bit of equipment and then bear fight if you remember mm -hmm. that band yep. um they asked me to record a full-length record for them which i had never done before um and kyle was super gung-ho to like start doing more recording stuff and so he and i kind of embarked on that project by ourselves and that sort of launched just like a big like I was, so I'm a very technical person. I love, I love technology. I'm generally pretty good with computers. Like, uh, and obviously I just told you all about my musical background and those two things like come together in audio engineering. Yeah. And so you get to just be like a friggin' nerd about everything and it's, but it's like kind of cool cause it's musical and it's, you know, so it's, it just like marries the two things that I, that I really am passionate about in life. And video is basically the exact same kind of idea like it's it's a creative technical medium especially nowadays and mm. so like that just like was hugely attractive to me and and i yeah i just dove in head first i guess and going into that first um recording with bear fight did you have any expectations of what you wanted and do you think you achieved that or looking back at the recording now are you like with so much more knowledge do you wish you could like go back and like kind of like re-record it maybe remix it or just do something different oh yeah i mean like uh undoubtedly but like that also i mean things like this too are also a function of like some of the equipment that you have at your disposal yeah and i mean th there's always the argument of like you know you give a newbie the best equipment in the world or you give an expert garbage equipment and like what's the result going to be but um i mean technology has changed even since then even though it's only been five six years but the kind of equipment we have at our disposal now would have made it completely different that being said the way that like considering the way that that record was made it was it was a blast and the band was super happy with it and like you know there's something forgiving about this kind of heavy brutal music i mean you know better than anybody else yeah. people that listen to this kind of stuff are passionate about like the energy and the vibe of it so if you've got that right if it sounds like a little bit gritty and a little bit rough on the ears it's almost like a like a benefit you know what i mean like uh i don't want to name any names but like steve halleck or dylan james maybe listen to punk rock that just sounds like ass to me and they're like it sounds so raw and i'm like no it sounds poorly recorded <laughs> it, yeah no I, I i won't disagree with you on that one and it's like it's funny because like a lot of the yeah you you hit it right on the the head there because like a lot of certain folks like if you want to call it um lo, just call it lo-fi if you want to call it yeah. that but it's like i get it but it can still be <laughs> shitty punk rock and re recorded well. Like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Mean, there's, I, we, I, we have, we have examples locally, even, you know what I mean? Of, of both camps, frankly, but like, you know, uh, I mean, this is probably a bad example, but like vibrating beds were not shitty punk rock, but that's no. like the vibe of old school punk rock, yeah. like recorded in like a really cool organic way. And versus like, like some of the grindcore basement demos that I'm sure come out yeah. of <laughs> Or I was just thinking like um, I had uh, J-Rod from the Sorrells on 
Like they do. Oh, yeah. They're, that's like old, like kind of surfy punk rock, like, and they do it and they record it so well and it sounds so good. So it's oh, like, yeah. you can, you can do it well. It's just, yeah. I mean, you have to have the want and I guess the budget too. Like, but I mean, it's a soup. It like nowadays, especially like when we were just talking about the technology and stuff, but it's a super interesting thing to think about, like how the, you know, the, the recording quality can match an aesthetic or a vibe yeah. and that recording things, there's still like an art to recording things poorly. Right. Because like old recordings weren't necessarily shitty. They were a little bit lo-fi, like you said, because the equipment was lo-fi, but they were still like, you know, on tape with nice microphones. Most mm. of the time it was just that like, you only had a couple mics in a room and a few tracks to work with, but that that's a different thing from just like, you know, you could still have like, 28 mics in the room and just have the gain set wrong and have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> just that, that reminds just, me, I just listened to um, Damien from fucked ups podcast and he had fat Mike mm. on and they were talking all about uh, mystic records. And cool. that, that that's like the perfect example of this guy just had a recording studio and bands would come in and he would just like, they'd like, in one session they'd get like three or four songs and it doesn't like, if you've heard any of the no effects mystic stuff, it sounds like hot garbage. You can, <laughs> you can, you can hear that there's something there. And obviously they've had a whatever 30 plus career year career going on, but it's that kind of thing. It's just like, they just ripped it really quick and got it out. What's uh, what was their, like what records came out on that? I'm curious um, now. I know they've got one, called oh god good thing we got this uh the google um yeah, what, did we, what did we do before this we just sat here umming and awing you just it? you just or you just had to know it yeah you would actually remember shit uh i know they have one album that Mi mystic actually released called so what if we're on mystic and <laughs> um i don't know if i've ever heard any of the it was put out in 1986 or recorded in 85 released in 86 um but like, I don't know if I've ever heard any of these songs like uh, side a had mom's rules on my mind, drain bramage. I've heard that one. Yeah. Uh, Bob Turkey. And then side B is shitting bricks, logger in the dark, too mixed up and white bread. <laughs> but I know, I know I've heard uh, drain bramage before and like yeah. it, it doesn't sound good. Like it's, it's also, I mean, whatever they had you know yeah but it's oh. uh i mean man we could do like an entire obviously we could do an entire podcast on no effects but that band is is fascinating to me because i feel like like that's what we were talking about kind of like the touring and then like how you get better as a band and i'm like that's the example of like dudes that should not have been good at all but but like by sheer virtue of doing it forever mm -hmm got to be like ridiculous at it where you're just like this is like the weirdest kind of music to be good at you know what I mean? like it just yeah. proves you put your mind to anything you can get good at that one weird fucking thing for some reason and to be like one of the one of the bands like not not yeah. saying they started punk rock by any means but they definitely oh, yeah. took it to a different level that like you in, know. in in so many ways like the i mean yeah they their their brand brought with them you know what i mean like they didn't they didn't fly solo, but like because of Fat Wreck and even just sort of like the way that the culture was, they brought so many bands with them to the forefront. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And like whether or not those bands are as remembered as they are is irrelevant. They like that's like they're, they're like the tip of a wave. You know what I mean? Which is 
so few bands can claim that and be right about it. Yeah. And that like, yeah. they just, yeah, they inspired so many bands. Like we, I probably wouldn't be listening to what I'm listening to now if it wasn't for, for them essentially, because yeah. I'm sure they inspired, you know, green day, which is, I'm the same as you. Like I, my jumping off point was dookie and then yeah. it was just downhill from there. Sort of. Yeah. Kind of. Our tastes have just gotten worse and worse. It's, it's very true. It's <laughs> horrible. And now here I am listening to the new Alanis Morissette record. You That's know? a really good record. I'm it's not really gonna good. lie. She's it's, very good. Yeah. When I saw her, uh, her <laughs> thing on, uh, on Fallon, when she's holding her kid singing her new song, I think it was on Dude. Fallon. That 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 song on record and live. Otherwise, I was like, like I don't even have kids, and I get like goosebumps thinking yeah. about it. She just and I I'm kind of like stunned, but also really stoked that she is like sort of uh, persisted as an artist and really like stood the test of time in a very odd way because she's got this bizarre kind of like stereotypical '90s voice. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. she's sort of like 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 Pearl Jam, you're the hostile, but she's the female version of of that. However. Like yeah. no one sings like Alanis. Well, who the fuck sings like Alanis? No. Nobody. And no, um, no one should ever sing like Pearl Jam. I don't like them. No, I don't like them at or all. Or Alanis Morissette. Like you can only get away with that because of who you are. And yeah. like somehow it works. And you got me singing that fucking "You Ought to Know" song at the top of my lungs like a loser. You know. <laughs> oh man! Whenever I hear anything from that album, I just get. I feel like I'm old because that was out when I was oh, in yeah. high school. Dude. And yeah. one of, one of my exes played. Oh, what the fuck was it? Head Head Over Feet. Yeah. For me. And she's like, this heels? Is, head over, yeah, something feet, like that. Feet, I think feet, feet, you're right. You're right. And yeah. she was like, this is how I feel about you. And I'm just, every time I hear that song, I think of her, which is fine. Cause we're friends to this day. She's still, she's still a bud, but I'm just like, it, it, it just makes me feel so old. Cause I was in grade 10 when that came out. Yeah. Ugh, I hate getting yeah, old. That, it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's the worst. And so, I mean, you, you had touched on a little bit of, cause you, did you get into audio stuff first and then video? Is that the, the kind of progression of, of things? Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, this is a weird cause I was thinking about this the other day, but the like video <laughs> video has been in my life longer than I kind of like realized mm-hmm. and all the, like where I've ended up career wise is like, makes a lot more sense than I kind of previously thought. And part of me which wishes i could just like talk to young marty and probably steer me down this path earlier but like um yeah yeah i'm sure we've all got we've all got our moments um my my mom had a camcorder she bought when i was like in the sixth grade and i used that thing constantly to like make stupid sketches and home movie or like the dumbest shit things that i hope to god never see the life of day Life of day, light of day. All right, this is getting worse. I'm, Anyhow, I'm, I'm gonna have to talk to your mom real nice. Maybe get some overdubs or something. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I know where the tapes are, and I'm not letting you anywhere near. Son of a bitch. <laughs> um, but it was so I I remembered doing that, and I'd kind of like forgotten about that part of my life. But also, when High Five Drive started, um, I had a I had one of the first generation MacBook Pros, oh, and okay. I spent that entire European tour walking around with the MacBook using the the selfie cam, <laughs> like if you. This you can see, and I'm I'm horrified that I'm going to say this on a podcast, but if you go onto YouTube and you type High Five Drive, most of the stuff under my channel, like this is a, a solid 20 plus uh, tour blogs from our first couple of European tours. And I shot those on my laptop. Mm-hmm. And then, then I bought like an HD, like 
when tape was the only option yep. still like mini mini dv yeah, hd yeah. it was 720i or something like that i bought that and i like i had no idea what i was doing with this like speed ramping and horrible effects it was cutting him an iMovie uh but i mean like i was doing it and i remember like i loved putting those things together and like i just never and then that part of my life just kind of went away and i didn't think about it and i was i was working as a mechanic uh and then i went on to work at investors group and all this kind of stuff and video came back into my life when i met my current girlfriend Lindsay, and um (laughs) i bought her a camera because she's she's got a degree in photography uh, but then I ended up using it for like, just for trying out some video and that like kind of sparked it again. And then, um, not unlike the other gateway drugs we've talked about now, I just, that's all I do. <laughs> when, when, when you picked up her camera that you bought for her, so yourself, um, <laughs> was it a big learning curve to like pick that back up? Because you, you had said like you kind of left it alone for years and years. And as anybody knows, if you kind of don't pay attention to any kind of technology at all, it it can leave you behind in the dust real quick. Was it really tough to like pick that camera back up and recording stuff isn't, I'm not going to say it's not hard because there's an art and there's a way to do it correctly, but all that backend work of like editing and, you know, especially putting sound into video, was that a steep learning curve once you picked everything back up? I mean, um in a sense i never learned it so it was fine like i i i had no like i didn't know what frame rate i was shooting in Mm -hmm. or or what aperture was or like like any of this stuff so like really the only side of it that i understood was uh the editing portion which luckily has like translated because even like old ass iMovie kind of has some similar similarities to modern uh editing software that we use now but the camera stuff i never learned so like i learned I learned the very basics from her where Mm -hmm. she was just like, you know, we had the kit lens with the camera and I started having fun playing with it. And she's like, well, I want to get a portrait portrait lens. And I was like, I don't know what that is. She's (laughs) like, well, it's a it's a 50 mil. And me being like a gearhead and a person that likes, you know, investing in stuff. I just like bought one off of Kijiji and I was like, here, I got you a portrait lens. And then I used that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, uh, so I just like, I, I learned piece by piece and it's like, it's kind of crazy to me to think like, I mean, um, I, I didn't, I didn't know what any of these things were or how any of this stuff worked. Uh, like this was like maybe, maybe four years ago, I was still learning, you know, what an F-stop was and how ISO worked and what video codecs were and all this kind of stuff. And then I eventually got this job, uh, that I work now, which is, uh, for a French production company, uh, here in Winnipeg. And I've been working in like TV and documentary for almost three and a half, four years or something like that. Nice. Um, and that I've just like, like, I like cannonballed into the deep end, man. <laughs> That's <laughs> like I mean, I, I, sink or swim and you, you're, you're going to figure it out. You're not, you're not a dumb guy. So it's like, you will figure well, that, shit out. That remains to be seen. But I mean, <laughs> I, so I, I appreciate from like the camera, like it's always, it's interesting for me to talk to, I mean, like anybody in the industry, but I, I love like to photographers, especially because, uh, Lindsay's best friend is, is a, a great photographer as well that, you know, Nancy, um, and a, any of you guys, like, like I try to explain, like, with there's times when like either you've told me or Nancy has told me, she's like, man, video is crazy. I don't understand it. And I was like, I can't take a photo to save my fucking life. Like these aren't, these are not like, it's weird because you'd think it'd be a transferable skill. And obviously to a degree it is, the theory remains the same, but like when I see her taking photos or you taking photos or whatever, like this stuff, like granted you guys know how to use certain auto modes and you're using technology to your advantage. Yeah. 
like all, like all of us, but like when you're like choosing shutter speeds and ISOs on the fly, and I was like, man, I don't. That's not math that I do in my head. Like <laughs> that's not a function of videography. And like the, 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 it's impressive to me to see the flip side of you know how you can know so much about something, but so little about a lot of, of parts of it. You know. Yeah, and like I'm I'm the complete opposite. Is you know I I think it translates somewhat because like if you I've I've seen a few of your like the your your personal videos. Um, that, that you, that you post my only fans yeah. <laughs> that you post online from like trips that you and your girlfriend have gone on and stuff like that. And like, you could pull a frame from one of those and it could be a wonderful photo. So you, I think you, you're not giving yourself credit, you know, but I get what you mean. It's, it, it's, I think it transfers really easy, but it would be the same thing if I was like, here, here, Marty, edit this photo. You may be like, um, no. Do you got an auto button that I can just press and make it do what oh. I want it to do? Um, oh, I, I a Lightroom is part of my subscription package. I'm terrible. I'm the like too much detail. I just like crank all the knobs. I don't know what I'm doing. What's split toning? Oh man, <laughs> the the video. Did I send you that video that I did? The little drone hiking thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was super cool. It went okay, and I I was using uh, what am I using? <laughs> it it is not part of what I'm paying for. Cause I'm not paying for it. Cause it's free. Uh, black magic. DaVinci resolve. Yes. That because it's free yeah. and it works fairly well, but it's phenomenal. Yeah. Holy shit. When I had to go into color grading, <laughs> fuck that, fuck that so much. I would, I would rather cut everything together and then ship it off to you and be like, all right, Marty color grade this, make it, this is what I want it to look like because, Oh, it was, it was like pulling teeth. I hated it so much. It's it's unreal because it's like this is the one difference I'll say. Like it, it is bizarre because the still photos is like there's so much you can do to that one image. And when you're color grading video, it's like whatever you're doing. I mean, you can automate things, but you're really applying it across the board for mm -hmm. a shot. So like it's it's a different it's a different approach. But both of them are like I don't know. Like that's a weird taste that like I've gotten pretty good at color correction in general, and it's a weird. Like, I don't know. I never intended to. It's not my favorite thing to do, but I've had a lot of comments from people with like, Hey, the yeah. color on this is really great. And in the back of my brain, I'm just like, man, I don't know. I'm just doing it to taste. You know what I mean? But I've like, I've, I've heard this from a lot of people who do this kind of stuff. You're like, same way you edit photos. You're like, how do you do it? And you're like, well, I navigate by feel, man. It's like any other kind of art. You're sort of like, you got your, your brush that's letting you do stuff. Yeah. And you're just like, I like, I like this, you know, <laughs> you it's like, I, it. I know what I kind of want it to look like in my head. And sometimes it does that. And other times it just takes a left yeah. turn and I'm like, Oh, well, this looks good. Yeah, man, happy accidents in the creative process are are, are like uh, massively underrated. And I mm -hmm. think all art, like you have strokes of genius, people are like this is great, and you're like, oh yeah, I pressed the wrong button. I decided I liked it. <laughs> like like yeah. that shit happens all the time. Yeah. What was what was the first video that you did? Because you've done some music videos for people. What was mm -hmm. the first one that you kind of got hired on to do? And were you? kind of shitting your pants at that point because you're like oh what am i doing here did i bite off more than i can chew um yeah so the first one i ever did was for a local band called lake disappointment you heard them before i have um not. so they're 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 really good they, they haven't done too much they put out <laughs> kyle mixed their uh their recording actually but um that was the first one i ever did and it was about a year just over a year ago i guess uh that was the first music video i ever did um and they wanted to have a house party video 
which I hated because I've seen too many of them. <laughs> um, and in fact, like I had camera assisted on one like ages ago when Randy was shooting one for Waster. And like, I don't know, I just think it's a very cliched video mm -hmm. but it's also very cheap and it's a good way to do like a punk rock video with a vibe so yeah uh, that was the first one i ever did like by myself and it was just very like by the seat of my pants and i shot it on my yeah it's like an a6000 it's like a 500 camera and my just my little gimbal um and then kyle helped me as well and like i lit it myself and i knew nothing about lighting really like the guys really put their faith in me and uh i mean it turned out good for what it was like i'm not you know i don't i don't grip my teeth and cringe at it mm -hmm. um but then i pretty much went from that one to shooting the professional video for vc which was one i did uh early 2020 like just at the very beginning of the year right before covid it was just myself and my buddy phil who i had met and that was the first time that i not that I didn't like the like disappointment video, but the VC professional video was the first one I made where I was like, like, oh shit, this is like, this looks proper. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like this is legit. And like, like we had stepped up a lot of things. It was like a <laughs> $600 camera on the first one, $15,000 camera on the second one. I mean, you know, it makes a difference. <laughs> yep, yep, definitely. Um, yeah, but I've, I, from project to project, I almost always get some kind of sense of holy crap I'm in over my head uh but I really also love that like I think I thrive on that a lot and I've been extremely fortunate that uh, the people that I work with and the contacts that I've made are people who are just super open to showing me mm -hmm. things and like teaching me and like I, I like to think I try to invite that as well because I'm I'm a thankful to get any of these opportunities and b when I get work with these people I understand their values so I try to pass it on to them and and really just be like, look, you know what I mean? I'm just uh, a conduit through which you're getting this job. And if you want, can teach me some stuff along the way and I can help this be something cool, then then all the better, you know? And when, when you're doing these um, these videos, are you like the director as well? As well as like, like you said, um, running the camera, doing the lights, or do you work with, or have you worked with other folks that kind of come in and, which role do you kind of prefer more? Would you like to step away from being behind the camera? I mean, as in being behind the camera, like directing the action that's going on, or are you happy right now kind of being the, the director of photography, the, the kind of techie nerd trying to get inside someone else's head and make that vision come to light? I mean, I, yeah, it's, I, I like, I like a little bit of all of it. Like I think there's a shift in, um, there's like an old school mentality where like you really do specialize, right. And you like do one of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, but like over time and like, not just like recently, but the past like 20, 30 years, like you can see there's a lot of people. I mean, you see actors that are directors, you see all this kind of stuff. And it's because, you know, like anybody that's involved in these creative processes, you take, you take some interest in the other parts of the puzzle. And like, I started in editing and still that's like one of my biggest passions and, you know, that's kind of the last, the last step in the post-production process or the production process as a whole. And so it, it makes like, there's almost a logical uh, transition between that and directing or shooting because, you know, you've been at the end of the line. And so you understand to a degree what needs to be done at the beginning of the line in order to make something great. Um, so I'm, I'm happy doing pretty much all of these things. Like I'm just like absorbing as much as I can at once. Um, 
my end goal would be to like, I would love to mostly be a director of photography. Like I love creating the imagery. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, directing is like basically a function of like being on these small productions, which inevitably, if you're starting out, it's like, you're not on, you know, you don't have crew to, to have yeah. every job. So you're we like, I, in fact, like these are most like most of the videos I did this year, I was like, that was me and Phil. So Phil, who is not by trade a, a gaffer, which is the person who does the lighting, on these music videos uh he was my gaffer and then i was everything else but then obviously with his help so it's like basically between the two of us we were both directors of photography and camera operators and directors yeah. and and uh and i mean like he was the gaffer i'm not gonna lie about that one i really didn't have my hand <laughs> in it um but you yeah you just like end up having your hand in all of it and it's it, but it's nice to finally get like now i'm getting to the point where i can have crew well i mean covid notwithstanding um the shoots that we can go on ideally have like a few more people and you can start to step back and really compartmentalize those roles. But I mean, I just like being part of uh, any part of it and like definitely directing or shooting and editing. Those are like the three roles I, I hope to land in primarily in the future. Nice. <clears throat> Cause yeah, editing, I mean, editing stills for me, I, I don't hate it. It's one of photographers. I mean, that's where same as you guys, for like the color grading and editing, that's when you put everything together and what you shot really comes to life. Same mm -hmm. thing with photographers is like you get a relatively flat image, but you already know because you've seen it with your own eye, what it's going to be and what you have in your head. So I totally get that. But yeah, video editing, it's yeah. It seems like, so this, sorry, this, this just made me think of something. I'm kind of curious to hear from your side the if you shoot something like mm -hmm. let's say you had the opportunity to 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 do a shoot with somebody and then at the end of that you hand your cards over to somebody else and they have to edit them how do you feel about that um i've done it it's like, like i know I, it's common in the, in the wedding industry for sure yeah right? like, like if i'm second shooting um some photographers i mean don't want you to have the images which they might be like oh just use my card it's easier Really, they some of them, not everybody, just don't want you to have the actual images because depending who you work with, I mean, it gets that's, confused. That's their brand. They're that's their brand. That that's their client. I mean, I also don't, when I'm second shooting for people, I don't put anything out ever unless I, mm -hmm. number one, ask the person or it's like an, a shot that's like, like a ring shot on a dewy piece of grass or something like that like if it's something that's totally removed from the couple then maybe like i did a second shot with my friend Allie this past summer and i took some phenomenal photos of the cows in the field because the the groom was a dairy farmer and we went out and they were surrounded by all these cows but i just waited till they were out of the shot and then got some shots of his cows which i know he really loved and i posted those since then and i really love them but, um, yeah, I, it, it really depends what I'm shooting for. Like I've, I've done events where I've just given the card over and that I don't care. Cause it's like, I don't want to say it's like grip and grin, but it's very, there's nothing super crazy fun. Like, what was that? Gri grip and grin? Grip and grin. It's like, what? Hey, get your arm around your girlfriend, take a photo, click moving on. Like kind of like bar <laughs> photos kind of thing. Like, it's, yeah, yeah they're kind of fun, but you don't have a lot. Like they don't want super arty images. They just want photos of people having fun. So 
Yeah, I've done a few of those. I think the biggest one I ever did was Lady Gaga's meet and greet, where I actually had to Whoa. shoot. They gave me their card, and I had to shoot on their card, and I had to give their card back. So no, I mean that makes sense, right? Like you're you're doing yeah. doing stuff. I mean, I think at that level, that that's the kind of thing that's common. So it, I guess the reason I was asking is mostly that's like I know. I mean, it depends on the project, but that's common enough. And I learned a lot editing my own stuff. And mm. I think it, I, like, I imagine it's the same for photographers. It's a bit odd, right? Because if you're handing it to somebody who also shoots consistently, I mean, I don't know how you shoot, but um, there's people out there where like, if I hand you a card and it's got 45 minutes of footage on there, I know I shot 45 minutes because I know you're cutting a, a minute and a half long promo. Yeah. And I know that there's a minute and a half of gold on there but I don't know that you can find it <laughs> like, because this, this, there's still a minute. There's still at least 40 minutes of garbage. <laughs> Maybe, you know, like. be, because when you're shooting something like, let's say you're doing um, shooting for a, a company and it's like you said, it's like a, a minute to a minute 45, you know, 45 second, like little spot mm -hmm. um, as you're shooting, are you like either taking physical notes or mental notes? You're like, that's the one we're going to go here already knowing that, what you're going to throw away. Uh, I mean, no, definitely not physical notes, mental, like maybe I, I mostly, I can feel when I've got something, like if I nail it, I, I know for sure. Mm -hmm. But in video, there's so many, like, let's say you do like a simple left to right move or something. I mean, like your focus could be off, your exposure could be off. The movement could suck. You might've shaken. You might've like, like jarred a little bit, like stuff that you might not necessarily be able to see. It depends on the situation, but when you're running gun, it's like you try to get duplicates and triplicates of everything really yeah. just for safety uh, is all it comes down to. Uh, but otherwise there's definitely like moments where I know I've got it, which is like part of the reason I don't like, I never got into winning videography, like despite the obvious, obviously lucrative nature of it in some cases, uh it's a lot of pressure <laughs> it's yeah. like there's there's those moments it's like either you pay two other people to also have coverage and then the odds of three people screwing it up at the same time is low but like when you're running solo that's just a lot of pressure and like i can't imagine yeah well then, you doing and then that you, stuff for real and then you've got like another two people's videos to go through and you're putting your faith in their hands hoping oh, yeah. they did all the right things like you did and then, but then it's an extra, you know, maybe hour, hour and a half worth of stuff you've got to go through to see what's good and what's not. Yeah. Like you gotta, you gotta watch all of it. Like that's, I was on a, I was on a shoot where somebody was like telling me how much they shot of something. And I was like, that's not, that's not necessarily something to be proud of. You know what I mean? Like in the best case scenario, if you're shooting like a minute and a half long commercial, you shoot three minutes, which is two takes of the same thing. And mm -hmm. you nailed it, you know, which is like, obviously never happens, but like that would be in an ideal world. That's how we do it. You know, like yeah. shooting six hours of footage when really all you need is like 30 seconds is, is just a function of like things going wrong. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I know I tend to overshoot when I shoot weddings, like an average wedding, I'm going to shoot anywhere. And an average wedding being like, 12 hours so yeah. 8 or 10 a.m to 10 p.m i'm probably going to shoot around 5,000 images wow and then deliver a thousand of those to the client but that's also like when you shoot family photos in a wedding there's nothing inherently nice about them you're just lining them up and then yeah. you're then you're taking this out this out this out but one lineup i'll take 10 photos of that one line 
because someone's always blinking. Grandma's looking at the ground or somewhere. <laughs> and I'm not going to take the time to goddamn Photoshop someone's head on. Like, I'm not moving heads. Not doing no. it. I'll take no. 10 photos. I'll give you the best two. And those eight other ones are garbage. That's yeah. just how it goes. You know, you, you just said is you, you're fixing it in pre. You heard the fix it in post? Yeah. Yeah. I'm- yeah. So. Uh, I saw somebody has a sticker on their camera and I don't know where you can get them, but if somebody's listening and can tell me where to get one, tell me, uh, it says fix it in pre in like giant capital letters. And that is my favorite thing because that's exactly what you're talking about. You're like, yeah, like maybe there's a way to make this better, but you know, it's faster. Click taking another five photos, put that thing on burst mode. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I always make the joke when I shoot, uh, for other photographers, I always say, yeah, yeah, they can fix it in Photoshop. <laughs> which then I always let them know. I'm like, no, no, I'm completely not serious. Cause whoever I'm shooting for will fucking kill me. Oh, if man. you come to them, it's like, Oh, can you Photoshop this, this, and this? It's like, <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sincerely hoping we get to work a gig together because our senses of humor are the same. I've had people be like, was that a good one for you? And I'm like, yeah, I was rolling. <laughs> it's definitely on the card. <laughs> I'd be like, he was rolling a joint slightly wobbly that's art that's art that's just like when i make something um fuzzy that's that that's it's all art that's what it is that's it yeah it's soft it's vintage it's a vintage lens <laughs> I, I smeared some vaseline on there that that's how that's how that sounded really dirty i've i've done i literally just made that joke the other day we were talking about like we had to use a softening filter for something i'm like yeah. worst case we just get some vaseline on the lens some vaseline or some pantyhose <laughs> i think they used back that's in the day yeah. Oh, I mean, that, that would probably work better. Just shoot it soft. Just go off focus a little bit. You know? I couldn't, I couldn't imagine like smearing my like thousand dollar lenses with Vaseline no. and then having to clean that. Sh- I guess they probably put it on the filter. Not the, I, I mean, still, it's not great. <laughs> I also, I also don't use filters. So <sighs> yeah. yeah, that's good, good for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm living on the edge. I'm crazy, man. I'm crazy. Yeah. Um, well, do I have time to run to the washroom? For um, I was just going to say, I, I feel I could talk to you for another three hours, but we've got just about an hour and a half, hour 45 in. Sounds like um, lots. We're probably going to have to do a part two because, um, <laughs> and, and I'm feeling, because Dylan's been bugging me for a while about doing uh, a nerd out propaganda episode. Oh, fuck. I'm, I'm like, I was going to say, even, I, feel, I feel, you don't have to ask. I feel you have to be in, I also want to do it in person. Like I don't, I want COVID to be done because I like doing these in person where I can set up the the recorder and all the microphones and then we just hang out and we talk and we bullshit and it's just, you know, doing this over zoom is great because I get to see you and I haven't seen you in a while, but doing it in person so much better. So I feel that you're going to have to be on that episode. Sign me up, Marty. All right. Perfect. So love all the parts of it. So you, Dylan, me, and maybe one more person. We'll see. We'll see. We'll call Chris. What's, what's that? We'll call Chris. <laughs> Chris. Hey, man. You know, do you want us to just, like, gush about your band while you're in the room for three and a half hours? Just just get just get all three of them to come down. Be like, you stand here. You sit here. Yeah. It's like a backwards we're, we're, roast. We're going to embarrass – yeah, we're going to embarrassingly talk about how great you are the entire time. Yep. And <laughs> then you tell us what you think of that afterwards. Or you just leave because – I would fucking leave. I'm like, this is, this too- is, this is for nobody else but us. This is- <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, cool. if, pe- if people want to check out where they can 
check you out or check your bands out, what are the the best stuff to to head over to? Uh, Instagram is at Clipwing Music. Not super updated lately, but it will be. Don't worry. Uh, we're Clipwing uh, on Facebook. I think we have a .com, but I don't remember updating it, so don't go there. Um, and otherwise, you can check out my video work at LookSmartVideo.com. Uh, same thing on Instagram is LookSmartVideo. Uh, Sound Smart. Uh, is uh, my the audio business I have with Kyle. Check that out there. Um, there's probably more, but I won't inundate you. Oh, North Graffiti. Ian's going to get mad if I don't plug that one. I was going to uh, say, North you, Graffiti. you just did one where you, you kind of double dipped because you did the video. Did you do the sound for North the North Graffiti video as well? Uh, Kyle, well, so Kyle did. Yeah, okay. we, 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 tr- we tracked it together, and then he mixed it over the last couple of years. So so, um, so you triple dipped. Yeah. You, did, you did the video, you did the sound, and you're Kinda. playing in it. Yeah. So and, uh, I'll, yeah, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. And true. I'm in one of the, I'm in the video. Go figure. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> oh, so you, you, yeah, I'm just going to go with triple because you're triple dip Marty. Triple, triple dip. Triple All dip. right. That's, I'll take it. <laughs> you got to get that. You got to get that tattoo now. Triple dip. Yeah. Done. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for, uh, for hanging out with me, Marty. And yeah, there'll definitely be a part two because there's a lot more video audio stuff that I'd like to get into, but you know, can only keep the the people captive for so long hey if they made it this far i'm surprised the code word is eggplant my safe word is pineapple (laughs) all right well there was my conversation with marty big big thank you to him for taking the time to talk to me and i mean we got into a lot of stuff there's a lot of stuff i feel like we didn't touch on but you know we 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 gotta condense this a little bit even though this is a uh a longer uh episode i guess if you want to call it that but i i feel like we still barely barely scratched the surface so big thank you to marty for taking the time to talk to me it was great really i mean i know marty but i don't know a lot i've only lived in winnipeg here for 12 years so learning more and more about kind of where where people came from and how they came up in the scene and how they what they're continuing to do especially now with not a lot going on so again Big, big thank you to Marty for taking the time to talk to me. Also, you know, I, I have to thank our our sponsor, Dusty Wax Records. Make sure you head over to DustyWaxRecords.com. Follow along on their social medias. Everything will be there. But if you're not following along, you could miss out when they announce the next re-release that they do. Uh, I know Marco is working hard on some. And hopefully there'll be some news soon about what they're 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 going to be putting out next. So big thank you to those guys for helping support the podcast. It really means a lot. Um, also, a big thank you to the WPG magazine. Head over to the WPG.ca to check out all the great content they got going on. The content's kind of currently, or currently, is always being updated. New stuff coming in kind of all the time. Um, I'm also very lucky to be part of their podcast network. So thank you for bringing me on with that. The WPG.ca, go check it out. Hopefully this summer there'll be some events, events, and that this is going to be the place where you're going to want to go to check out stuff that's going on. So big thank you to those guys. And again, thank you to the Sorrells for providing the opening music. Really means a lot. They got a new EP, 7-inch. Go check out the description. That'll have all the links for everybody. I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. And yeah, we'll see you in the next one.